the hell is this? Anakadaski. Is snakes out there this big? Welcome to episode two of Running Scared. Where we look at the movies that had us running away, but coming back for more. Hi, my name is Jamie Roberts. And I'm Robert Lundrum. Here we go into Anaconda, and today we're looking at the characters and cast. And you've got a great idea, so tell me what we're doing in this one. Okay, we're going to mock draft these characters out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, thought so, are, yeah, I thought it would be a great idea. We have, um, we have nine characters. We're going to save... Uh, we're gonna save Paul Cerrone, John Voight until the end, so we've got eight characters. So we, we can four. split John. We can split him, right? Because we both want a piece of that one. Right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We, we we need a piece of him, right? Okay. Um, so we have we have eight characters, so four each. Okay. And so, okay. So the first overall selection is going to you, Robert Landrum. Who are you picking? Mm, so okay, I'm gonna go with the star of the film, man. Like, let's go J Lo. Oh, J Lo's the star of the film, not Ice Cube. No, she's top bill. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez gets top bill. That's right, Terry Clark. If I go to the end, you're absolutely right. Yeah, okay, Terry so Clark. About her. Terry Clark is the director of the documentary film that the crew is there to make. Uh, she's like, here's the thing. It seems like she's like fresh out of college because it's supposed to be her first big feature, her first chance to make a full length film. And, you know, she's got some of her friends on board. Ice Cube, who is uh, her friend Danny. So he knows she they know each other from before. She's the boss. But, you know, when the movie starts, she's not. Um, I think we get the sense that Eric Stoltz is the boss. Eric Stoltz plays the uh, anthropologist. Yeah, that's uh, Dr. Stephen Kale. You get the sense that he's sort of the hero of the film. At least that's how they set it up. Um, and there's another weird thing. I, I don't know if you picked this up, Jamie, but uh, when they first meet, there's this kind of joke between them where they're pretending they don't know each other. And then you find out later that not only do they know each other because that joke kind of quickly dissolves, but then also that they used to date. And then the weird thing that occurred to me was, do you think they dated when she went to school? Like, is this a teacher-student relationship? <laughs> it could be. It could be. Like, there's something weird going on there. So anyway, because there's something odd about it. So anyway... I don't know. They don't give you enough evidence to actually confirm that. But, um, you know, the cool thing, she's the, the strong female lead, which is pretty common in the horror movie genre. Um, but also, you know, she play, she's Latina. So, like, this is kind of cool for this film that it casts, like, the, the main star. I mean, is she the main star? She's definitely the main character because everything's happening to her, yeah? But does she? That's, 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 I think that's interesting, that power dynamic that exists between her and... And Paul Cerrone and how very, you know, he slithers onto this onto this boat and just very slowly kind of squeezes away the power uh, from 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 the documentary film crew, right? And we'll talk about that power dynamic that exists and and how he does it and how clever uh, he is as a tactician to really kind of um, gain full and total and ultimate control. And yeah, you're right. It's slowly this chess match between him and her, and he's he's closing in on her the whole time, taking away all her power. Stop! Not on my boat. Yeah, I think I think we'll move on here. You know, let's 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 get on to the next uh, to the next character here. Who, who's your first pick in the mock draft? And with the second overall pick is going to Jamie. Um, I'm gonna have to go Cube. Nice, my man Cube. You know this is um, this is a great character for for a lot of different reasons. But I want to take you through the tale of the tape first, okay? So Danny's his name in the film. Uh, he's the cameraman. He's a friend of J Lo. So we established that before, where there's there's 
there's a, a relationship that exists there, and there's a lot of foreshadowing. It's going to be really important later on in the film um, when you see them right right at the beginning. They have the embrace. You know, you can tell there's a friendship there. There's a relationship yeah. there. You know, that's going to come back, and that's going to be some significance to the plot line later. Um, I, you know, just because Rob, I think me and you always just recite the lines, the best lines of these of this movie, right? <laughs> so there was a couple of a couple of lines that I picked out from him. Oh yeah. Um, Right at the end, I just love it. It's just, it's just like right to the point where he's just gonna say, "I'm, I'm gonna blow him up." <laughs> Dude, there's two other lines I'm surprised you picked. Cube's first line of this movie is a promotion for his own music. The first line he says is, "Today's a good day." Which yes. is like he's got a song. He's got a song. Today's a good day. I think he might have said that in Boys in the Hood too. Oh, you does know, he really? Honestly, I think he does. But. Let, let me go on. You know, one thing about one thing about Ice Cube is he has this tough guy persona. I find in, uh, you know, in the movie and and you know, I mean, it's, he's, he's the he's the cameraman. He's there. He's he shows um, at different points of the film where he's brave and he's willing to do things. He almost mm-hmm. takes on the role as the enforcer. You know, he's willing, as we see, to kind of mix it up physically. He's willing to question. Mm-hmm. He's willing to stand up for what's going on, you know, with what's happening on the boat, which I think is, I think is really good. Yeah, Cube's the only one who does that. Him and him and Jo do conspire, and I think, like you're saying, that opening scene when they hug, that line where he says, "I don't know about this dude." Like, there is that friendship is definitely solidified in a really like economically written script where you just like you realize really quickly how tight these two are, and they 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 make it work for the movie because these two. Are the ones that kind of have to figure everything out together. That's what I have to say about Cuban, and, and he he adds to this film. He's a he's a he's a great he's a great piece of the ensemble cast. Yeah, and you and expect him to die the whole time. He, well, he's well, constantly putting himself in danger. So you're thinking. So I'm glad you you know that's a really good point because generally the enforcer, the one that's tough, you know, they've got a little bit. You know, if you look to other horror films, right? They've got a little. Yeah, they've got a little bit of staying power, right? They're not going to be the first, second, third kill, but generally. That enforcer type, that tough guy type, he's going down. Yeah, eventually goes down into a showdown with the monster or the or the villain, and he goes down right before the main hero. Yeah, Uh, that doesn't happen here. Yeah, it doesn't happen here. And also, he's the black guy. Usually, the black guy is done. Like that is that is well documented in the history of horror movies. The black guy gets it pretty often. The other thing to talk about, James, just with those two, J Lo and Ice Cube, both coming off their like third film, so they're both um, not like big stars yet, but they both have had their moments now. Uh, and I think Anaconda is for both of them like their third film. She's not a megastar yet, and he, and Cube is like, you know, he's starting to create a space for himself. But he's playing kind of his own persona that he's already created f- yeah. in his music. Uh, so I'm next, right? We're going with the third pick in the Anaconda mock draft goes to Robert Lundgren. Man, who's on my squad next? Um, I'm gonna go with Danny Trejo. AKA the poacher with no name. It doesn't even make it past the first scene of the movie. And the reason I'm going with this guy is because he's a, he's a real, that guy, like he is in so many movies. I think I've read he's in over 380 movies. And, and so why I'm choosing him is because this scene to me is such an impactful opening scene. And it's because of the casting, not so much the character, but the casting is what makes this so important. Danny Trejo always plays like bad guy. Number one, like, you know, henchman number one. 
at this point in his career, he's been in... Um, he's in Heat, 1995, Michael Mann. Like, he was in crimes. From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. He's about to show up in Con Air. I think it comes out the same year as Anaconda. So like he's been in all these movies. He often plays the same kind of tough character, and people are like genuinely afraid of him. When you see him, he comes off as like a real bad guy. And then that's what makes this scene so important, is that we see someone who we recognize on screen as a guy who always plays someone real tough. And he is the one who's like just losing his mind, scared that the snake is coming for him. And in this opening scene, it's kind of ridiculous. Like the, the, we see from the snake's perspective as it approaches the boat and it's super calm. The weather is actually really nice, but inside the boat, it's like a hurricane's going off. There's monkeys and parrots in cages and they're just going completely wild. <laughs> and then Trio's on the radio and he's trying to get someone to find him. He's, you know, oh, please, someone find, you know, someone respond, but nobody's responding and he can't get the radio to work. So it seems like there's like a hurricane going on. But in fact, it's just that he knows he's about to be attacked again. Um, and so when the snake finally, you know, makes its move on him, he has now climbed to the top of the boat and he's on like the cross and, you know, he has to make this decision. Am I going to get killed by the snake? Am I going to fight to the end? And he decides to do neither of those things. Oh, yeah. He decides, fuck it. I'm shooting myself in the head. Boom. <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah, he takes himself out. So like scene. he doesn't. So this sets up the expectation that the death by the snake is so horrible that you don't want to go through it. He doesn't even want to fight. Like he, he, he takes a shot at the snake, but like he basically doesn't say, you know, I'm going to fight to the end. I'm going to white knuckle it here and see <laughs> I'm what not I can do. Risk it. He just says, no, I'm done. And he kills himself. So setting this, setting the expectation of the film and like that is such a great impactful first scene to see such a tough guy decide, no way I can't deal with this. I'm out. Um, so that's why I'm picking him. Danny Trejo meets his demise. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, before it would have been a terrible killing, takes his own life, and then and then we move on. Yeah, so who are you picking next, James? All right, so I'm going with the number four selection in the Anaconda mock draft. I'm going with Mateo. <laughs> what, what's there really to be said about, about Mateo here? Mateo is... <laughs> basically your classic first kill it's like he's expendable right minimal speaking lines one thing about Matteo he masters the glance at Cerrone he masters like the 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 body language right those those facial cues when Cerrone wants something done he wants the boat to turn left he wants the boat to turn right he wants he wants to be backed up on this he on something he says Matteo does a good job of that uh and then of course with any first kill, he's the follower. He's not the leader. He follows Cerrone, and Cerrone, you know, is not interested in, uh, you know, there's no honor among thieves, right? Don't make me out a monster. I didn't eat the Captain Mateo. There's a nice little line with Cerrone when they're when they're waiting for Mateo, and you know, Paul. I think Paul says something to the effect of. They have heat sensors. A warm body like Mateo's in the water wasn't hard to find. Thought he does a nice job kind of just summarizing Mateo's end. Mateo's whole existence, just a warm it, body to get eaten <laughs> by a snake. The one thing, the one thing I don't understand is, you know, later on when we see when we see Owen Wilson's character, you know, the snake gets him, Paul performs a, a eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly. Yet for, yet for, 
Yet for Mateo, he's barely willing. <laughs> he's barely willing to put the boat in neutral for five minutes. So I. In fact, J Lo even says, "Aren't you going to go back and look for me?" He goes, eh, "Maybe another time." <laughs> so, so I guess you know that's all that needs to be said about Mateo. Perhaps he was even a higher hand, but the one other quick thing to note about him is, and you said it, he has such short lines, but. The, that and and I think the idea is they're playing up that he doesn't speak great English, even though we we barely get a chance to tell one way or the other because he just doesn't have many speaking parts. Yeah. Um, but when he does speak, is one of the times when Stoltz comes back out of the boat after he's been poisoned. Mateo says, uh, "Deadly poisonous." And, and like that's all we need to know, Mateo. Thank you. All right, let's move on from him because I don't want to spend much time on him. Um, okay, so so with the fifth overall selection of the Anaconda mock draft, Rob, that's going to you. Who are you picking? I gotta go with uh, one of my favorites in this movie, just for the, the pure comedy of his existence in the film, is Jonathan Hyde as Westridge. <laughs> he's so fucking pretentious. Like, he's just a cartoon character, right? Like the moment we meet him, he's yelling at the bellhop. He's <laughs> carrying his bags. He tries to get Carrie Werher to like carry his bags into the boat, and she's like, "I'm the production manager." He's like, "Well, then you can manage my my bags into my room." <laughs> he's drinking fucking champagne at like nine a.m. He's such a piece of shit, and like he's golfing, like just golfing. He's leaving his golf balls in the Amazon River. I almost wish we had learned a little more about him because the idea is he's the narrator of the film, right? So he's going to he's going to show up in the film on the camera and he's going to talk, you know, the essentially the viewer or the the, the pretend viewer through this documentary about the, the Shiri Shama. Um, but other than that, he's just a total human piece of garbage. Right? He's just feet up all the time, smoking, doesn't give a shit about anything. But I wish we had learned something about him that maybe he was like a failed. Because like, how did they get him? Is he supposed to be? No, I see. See, Rob, that's where. Not, not that I have to disagree with you, but I, I think, I think we do learn more about him. In fact, I would even make the argument that he has the most full character arc of oh, any yeah. character. I'll give you in, that in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that because I think by the end he oh. has learned to appreciate all the people he's been there with, how how much they've done to like try to keep everyone alive. Uh, he becomes a team player. Um, he really helps them out in, in one of the key scenes. He, he drives the boat. You know, Paul Cerrone really tries to break him and really, like, you know, squishes him under his boot. And Westridge, yeah. at one point, you think, oh, man, his spine has been broken. But in fact, no, he's just like, fine, I'm going to take this one right now, but I'm going to come back later. And he's the one who actually hits Cerrone over the head with the golf club later it, on, right? Exactly. There's, there's, it was the hitting over the head with the golf club. You mentioned it earlier when he was driving the boat. Even just the portrayal of the clothing, you know, like you said, he comes on. He's got the he's got the white suit. He's got the hat. Like yeah. he looks like he's out of Havana, nineteen sixties, right? Like, but then when he's driving the boat, his hair's a little straggly. Guy's got a tour of duty bandana on. Look like he should be cast in platoon. And yeah. he's, <laughs> and he's and teaching then, Cube how to ride, how to how to how to drive the boat. And he's like showing him the basics. He's you know, just he was, like he he learns something. He also sacrifices himself to save the crew he shows the bravery and it's important that he bends but he but he doesn't, doesn't break, break and he yeah. at least gives them a chance well you know what i mean gives them a chance he's, yeah. he's definitely super influential for them to make it out of to make it out of the situation alive so i you know you hate him yeah and then but i don't know if you love him i think you love to hate him is what he is he's just yeah, so, maybe that's he's so annoying that you kind of love that he's that he's there and he's a perfect antagonist for cube who's like the total opposite style of personality 
Um, and by the end, they're actually kind of buddying up when they're in that cockpit, right, or whatever you yeah. call it, in the front of the boat. Um, they have that nice little moment there, which yeah. is which is good. And like again, and I'm glad you know I'm glad you brought that up, right? Q definitely back to him just for you know a quick second. He's he's got a couple of those moments with some different characters, which which are good. But um, yeah, Westridge, Jonathan Hyde, I think he does a good job. He's hilarious, and and I think yeah, like I'm saying, the only thing I wish I had about him was did like how, I wish we knew how they could afford him because I guess Eric Stoltz knew him uh, the character the anthropologist knows um, yeah. knows uh, Westridge but I wish we had known was there a favor involved or like it seems like a, he's really like stepping down to help them in a way and I wish we had known that there's a reason maybe he's got a gambling debt or something you know what I mean just something silly like that would be good anyway yeah. that's it for him what do you got what's next okay so we're gonna go to what is this that was number five so we're gonna go the sixth pick of the draft uh, we're going to go to Stephen Kale, Eric Stoltz's character. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. So he's he's an interesting character. You know, he is, he's the producer rather. So he's the one with um, all the all the knowledge, all the information, right? You know, the, the scientist of the crew, right? Like, you know what I mean? The historian, he, he knows the Sherry Shamu who they're looking for. You know, again, he, he's the leader and he's got... He's 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 an arrogant character, right? Like he you is, know, but he knows he, it. Like he oh, he knows it too. I would also say, you know, performance. What was the first thing we said to each other about um, Eric Stoltz when when we watched Anaconda? Guy's in it for like fifteen minutes, and he's he's in the he's in the bedroom for the whole movie. Yeah, <laughs> like Thanks. he, you know, you know what I mean. Like, and I think after watching it back and then and really seeing. He, he had to go. It's like when you watch a movie and, you know, you think to Game of Thrones where uh, your man, Sean Bean's character, right? You know, it's like you love that character, right? But he's got to go for the plot to develop, right? For, every, for something, for the, for the wheels to kick in in motion. Stoltz has got to go because he's the threat to Cerrone because he's confident and he totally um, makes him look like a punk in front of the crew when when Sarone's trying to tell him the story of a tribe that's not even the tribe that they're, that they're yeah. after. And then Sarone gets all taken back and he says, I know what I know. Drop me at the next village. You know, yes. It's funny how we never see that village, eh? How many so, times does he say, Rob, <laughs> drop me at the next village? At the next village. I know the people. They helped me fix my boat. Drop me at the next village. We never come across a village ever. <laughs> so a couple things, you're right. So Stoltz is set up as the hero at the beginning of the film. We think traditionally... Like he is supposed to be the, he, it's almost too obvious actually that he's being set up as the hero. And there's a few things you're right about. He's more knowledgeable about the area than like not more knowledgeable than the local guy, but he, his knowledge obviously is beyond a tourist, and so he doesn't fall for Cerrone's bu- bullshit. Right. Secondly, we know he's armed. Uh, we see a scene where um, we hear a gunshot. Stoltz quickly pulls his handgun out. Yeah. So again, we've you're like you were saying he has to go because. Uh, the, the movie visually establishes him as both physically armed, intelligent, um, you know, he's in good shape, playful and funny. Everybody, like, J-Lo seems to like him. Uh, I think getting back to what you are saying before, he, he he plays pretension and then he, but he makes fun of himself. Even in, like, in the script, he's, he's, it's, it's written so that he's making fun of himself when he makes those pretentious comments. But the comment to Cerrone is so good. So Cerrone says, You'll find them down this fork. I know. I trap snakes for a living. And then Stoltz says, I hunt tribes for a living. I'm very good at that. I'm very good at that, too. And I love that line because I still use that now. If somebody, like, 
if somebody tries to one up me, I'll, I'll kind of like a, do it as a joke back to them. Like I do it's this. It's a great. It's a great line, and you know, you know this character. He had to. He had to. He had to be away from away from the the story for it to develop because it wouldn't have worked with uh with him and him and Sarone, you know what I mean just, you know battling it just wouldn't it wouldn't have worked so it's great that he's not the hero you don't want him to be the hero I think Stoltz does a good job with the camera time that he has and just jumping on that uh, uh Jamie Stoltz uh, um there's another reason he has to be out of the way is when they get to that wall because he would never let them go through that wall. He would never let them blow up a wall. Like he's an anthropologist yeah. that is completely against what he would yeah, do. Yeah, right? exactly. And then the second thing is he has to be an X factor because he's not dead, right? He's 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 incapacitated, but he's not dead. And that's why later on when he does show up again, it's like, oh shit, right? This guy's not dead. He's just yeah, in the room. I, you forget about him. Yeah, yeah. And you forget exactly. about him in the movie. And, and then it's completely on purpose. There, and then you're thinking to myself, well, what's what's the point, right? But then you see yeah. later on, you know, plays a key looking, role there. Yeah. And just okay. let's, let's talk about Eric Stoltz for a second, just quickly, because we didn't even like harp on this. This is the guy that was supposed to be in Back to the Future. He's been in like so many big movies. Again, how crazy good this cast is, and like to me, Stoltz represents some real legitimacy in this movie. I mean, oh, absolutely, Vo- Voight absolutely. should have too. Although when you see the movie, you're like, what the fuck? Because his acting is bizarre in this movie. But Stoltz is like probably the most legitimate actor on the whole thing. Yeah, and and like he was coming off Pulp Fiction, you know, not leading roles, right? But you know, he was a leading role in Killing Zoe like there was a lot of really kind of like critically acclaimed films that he had been in and let's not forget this movie almost had a 50 million dollar budget you know what i mean like the 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 quality of the actor that was brought into it like these these are not nobodies right with one star like you knew who these people were in this film right and when you when you actually look to uh, the director and screenwriter and who did the music like these were all people that are award winners right so you know stoltz was when you saw the name, Eric Stoltz is in this movie, right? I think that drew people into wanting to see it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we got to let's move this along. Hey, let's move. Let's let's move this along. So we're gonna go to um, we're gonna go to the seventh overall pick. We're Who, going who's to, left here? Wilson. We have oh. okay. So we got Carrie Wurr. Yeah, and um, Owen Wilson. Okay, so is it's my pick? I'll let you have Wilson. You know what? I'm gonna go with Wurr. I'll take Warher. Um, Denise Kahlberg is the character's name, uh, also known as Little Baby Bird. Baby Bird, as Sarone <laughs> <laughs> her own names her. Baby Bird. In in the scene when she presents him with salad, she's the production manager, and she we right away think realize she's dating Owen Wilson's character, who's the sound. Um, recording recorder. He's the boom mic he, operator. <laughs> well, he's no, he's the sound guy. He's a sound guy. Oh, he's a sound guy. All right. Yeah. And right away, and this is the interesting thing, again, going back to like sort of horror movie cliches, these two have a very like physical, sexual relationship. Even yes. though we don't necessarily see a lot of it, there's only one scene where that kind of is explicitly shown. And when I say explicitly, actually, there's no nudity in this movie, uh, except for that last scene. Um <laughs> but there is no nudity in this movie um, that in the traditional horror movie way. They they sort of tease you with Warher a bit because she's definitely like a total smoke show and she's kind of like put in the movie to be that. But her, her arc is pretty cool too. I mean, it's interesting. It's a little more uh, cliche though. Like, unfortunately, she's a totally smart girl. She's with this, she's got this passionate relationship and that's the one thing that sort of triggers you in a horror movie genre because you know anyone who's like sexual is probably going to get it. 
So it's probably going to get killed, right? Yeah. Um, and so the one thing with her is when everything starts to fall apart, she's directly implicated a couple times where things happen to her um, uh, without spoiling the plot. But the point being, she starts to derail and she starts to become kind of nuts, which I think is sort of cliche, like the fact that she sort of falls apart. There, there is this one great scene when Wilson gets it, her boyfriend, and she has to witness it. I actually think her acting is great in that, in that scene. She like watches Wilson get crushed by a, the anaconda and then pulled into the river and she is losing her mind trying she's to help him. She's a good him. screamer which yeah. she needs in a horror film. Yeah and she's doing the scream but she's also like desperately trying to help him and it really plays like it really works like that death scene is pretty gruesome not because of what happens to him but because the people there with him have to witness it firsthand. Um, yeah and then from there she dissolves and, and, and she like you know, finally gets it when from Sarone, who who finishes her by tricking her, basically. Um, yeah, that's actually a horrible death when you think about it. Like, yeah, you got she got old, like she gets I don't choked. Know what you call it like some kind of rear naked chokehold jujitsu move, and yeah. and then she's strangled to death. That's a pretty personal killing. Yeah, and you know, kicks her into the river, which plays a key role later. Um, there's a great scene later on where the tension is just we're gonna get in the plot so maybe i shouldn't step on that but let's leave that for plot but carrie Warher's body shows up one more time in a way that like scares the shit out of you yeah so that's about all i can say for her i mean i feel it's a little unfortunate that her arc is a little cliche in the sense that she plays that woman but, that goes goes nuts and kind of loses her mind but but rob that's the thing it's cliche but also i'm you know i'm gonna jump in with carrie and and bring in owen wilson here but, but here's the thing. You need these two characters. This is a horror film. You know what I mean? I think we haven't talked about this enough, right? This is this is a horror movie. And you need people that make bad decisions in horror movies. And that's these two people, right? Who goes out for a walk in the middle of the Amazon rainforest in the middle of the night to go collect sounds when you could just get them off the boat? Like, that's bad decision, number one, Okay. In a, in a horror movie context, I'm not sure about in reality, but in a horror movie, yes, you don't. Well, you you don't, know what? I don't know. Have you ever been down to the Amazon, Rob? Like, no. Have I? No. I, I like. I feel like it would probably be pretty loud from the boat. But anyways, you need those kind of decisions to be made. Um, you need someone that thinks it's a good idea to go have sex in the middle of the Amazon rainforest in the middle of the night, uh, and like everything's going to be cool. And then you have Owen Wilson, who, you know, sh- you know, she kind of she kind of tempts him and he's he's willing to go along with it uh and then we find out with owen wilson's character in the end is you know he's a confident he's like a cool character but we find that he's pretty easily persuaded by by uh, denise and then later by sarone there's there's one scene where he all like he's he's just doing his job and the next thing you know <laughs> sarone has like instituted an armed hijacking of the boat <laughs> And now, and now Owen Wilson is standing. There's one great scene. I think it's around the 56th or 57th minute. He's sa- he's standing like an armed sentry with a rifle. <laughs> like, like at that point, I'm saying, like, what what is going on with this movie, and what is going on with this character? This, like this character is the one that makes the <laughs> least sense to me. Like he is the biggest plot hole to me because he goes from goofy, <laughs> horny surfer dude. To oh, to now, now, like he's been lured by the, by you know, he's been tempted by, by a million dollars. But all he has to do, you know, where, where uh, Sarone goes to him and says, "You can't catch an anaconda by yourself. You need a partner. Capture a life, 
Maybe a million dollars, Gary. A lot of money, Gary. That's worth a lot of money, Gary. A million dollars? Like, is that it? Like, part of me is like... You know, after taxes and you split it, like, how much money are you actually getting, right? But, you know, but Owen Wilson, you know, he's ready to go, right? Like, he just is easily, you know... um, Yeah, and he thinks he's salvaging the situation. Like, he thinks, well, we've got no other plan here, so this is the best thing we can do. Like, that's why he's going along with Cerrone, because he's like, well, we're screwed anyway, and this guy can help us out of this. You know, this is something that I always love to talk about, RL. And, we, you know, I t- we talk about this, the idea of, <laughs> the idea, you're going to lie, the idea of false duality, where Gary believes now that the only thing that he can be possibly be doing is either hunting for a snake or the whole, the whole trip is just ruined, right? So now we have to be snake poachers or, or we have to be nothing, right? And giving a shout out to my man Mike Lombardi who I listen to all the time the idea that either now because we're in this situation and Paul knows the river guys Paul knows the river <laughs> we have to go hunt snakes hunt snakes for which we have no experience to hunt snakes plus we have a guy who needs to go to the hospital or 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 everything is just ruined like you know perhaps we can maybe not hunt snakes and you know tend to our victim perhaps we can and and also Rob where the fuck is that village this guy is supposed to get off at like <laughs> let's save that for plot but yes it's it's perfect so jamie let's leave that concludes our mock draft we've done four each uh we did our two squads that leaves uh Cerrone, which we had to share so like we there's so much meat on this bone let's let's talk about paul Cerrone. so you kick it off okay so uh, you know when we think about you know, we think we think about horror films, right? We think about the idea of Jason. We think about the idea of like a paranormal, uh, a paranormal entity. We think about an animal killer. You know, this movie, this movie has two villains. Yes. You know that 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 is one of the most amazing things, and why you know why I really like it is that you have you have one of these guys who you almost want to get on side with him, like you know he's bad. You know he's bad. You know he's a villain. You don't wait, wait, think Jamie. that. At what point did you think Paul Cerrone was the villain? Oh, fucking right away, man. He walks. He gets first off. He's <laughs> the first scene, time we see him. The he's first on the thing. boat, and then he jumps onto the boat like a fucking jaguar. <laughs> like his face is crazy. He's got the poncho blowing in the wind. He jumps on, and then he, he thank the Lord for you, and he leans back, and he but, leans but back the, again. But the, yeah, and the thank the Lord is the only thing that saves the moment because the the moment <laughs> before that, you're like, okay, this guy's jumping with a knife, like he's jumping on to murder everybody, and then he says, ah, oh, thank you, and you're like, oh, okay, so he's clearly the bad guy, but he's obviously playing a thing. So right away, we know this guy is super untrustworthy. Plus, we see the luck between him and Mateo, and right away, we know something's up, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely right. Like the, the foreshadowing with the glances are not subtle. Okay. These are, (laughs) these are slapping you right across the face. You, you know, if you've watched any horror films that, you know, these guys are into bad shit. What's amazing what they do is, is that they just, they tie it into the full manipulation of how Cerrone. And one thing I wanted, I wanted to kind of talk about that I thought was really, I thought was really interesting is that, so why does this why does this character why is he able to actually sort of manipulate the entire trip right I think he does it in a really clever and believable way because when we think about the idea of like him you know the power going from Stoltz and siphoning and maybe not siphoning but just moving over to to Cerrone, you know he's not doing it he's not doing it through fear you know or coercion like he he is later on when he actually 
fucking hijacks the boat. But what he does is it his his power that he shows is in you know little things like when he catches the fish. So he's a provider, and then little things with his knowledge of the river, and his his idea that he was a a minister where people would trust that. So he drops these little hints around like he's helping and he wants to gain their trust. Mm-hmm. But all the while he's working on this this kind of new power structure of the whole situation from from two sides, right? He's showing some uh, more aggressive, assertive moments, but then also there's a lot of subtlety in in how that all happens. I think it actually was brilliantly written just how how they were able to do that so that when you actually we get to the point where you know he's there driving the boat the lights are he's backlit and he's got that that gaze that glare that we see so many times (laughs) you know what i mean that look in the hammock right where he sleeps with his eyes open and he's looking at you oh my god oh my god we gotta do a glare count when we go through plot we're gonna do a glare count because oh my god it's there's at least four of like and these glares are six seconds sometimes like they give them a ton of screen time oh yeah the glares the glares are their own character so let's let's talk about a couple things why the the fact that he was an ex-minister does that mean anything to you it's a weird thing that they throw it in and then other than what you're saying like yeah he kind of is able to i guess i mean does he really use a sort of confessional situation to get owen wilson on his team like that's the only sort of place where i can see like the 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 job of a minister kind of working in a manipulative way to to you know, bring the, somebody the one, to his side, but otherwise, why is he? A, is that just also a religious sign? Like remember Danny Trey, who was on that like cross when he shot himself. Well, I think you know what I think probably, you know, this is filmed down in Brazil and in South America. You know, religion, Christianity is right you know, is is huge, right? I think. I think that there's, there's, you know, we might be stretching it too far, but he, he was a minister from Paraguay. A lot of, a lot of ministers, priests, a lot of parishes go and do missionary work. Perhaps he was doing that with some of the tribes. That's how he knows them. You know, I mean, you know, you oh, can, you can I do never a deep drew that line. That's a good thought. You could do, you could, you could kind of connect that, and and again, it's just all you know, with the intent to kind of add credibility and like who doesn't, well, I wouldn't say who doesn't treat, you know, uh, trust a minister, but uh, you know, (laughs) some of them aren't trustworthy at all. But, uh, but I think that might be, that might be one reason why. That's a good point. Cause one of the things I wanted to bring up, especially when we get to plot, but it's, it's starting, it's something we should probably start painting the scene with now is, you know, obviously there's a connection to this movie visually and, and the, the idea of the plot of a boat going down river that connects it to like apocalypse now or like heart of darkness, right? Mm. That, that fact that they're descending deeper and deeper into the jungle, into this like horrible hell creature, you know, is going to find them. And, the fact that he is a f- uh, failed priest. Fail? Who says I fail? I didn't fail. T- tells you, like, you know, religion has already, he's already lost religion. He's just gone into the depths of hell, and he's been there so long that it's, it's changed him. Now, my next question for you, James, is what the hell is this guy's motive? He wants to catch a giant snake to sell for a million dollars. Like, he thinks... That's what he's going to get out of this, right? You know, and he this wants is, the film crew there, what, to, to, to document the fact that he catches it? Like, why did he hijack their boat? You know, this is, this is where I would have liked a little bit more of, of, a, of a backstory. <laughs> yeah, you know, because, because, because you Does because he you need don't, a boat? Is that all it is? He just needs a boat? Because we know that Trey, who's on the fucked up boat. He, 
He needs exactly. He needs a boat. I'm just still trying to figure out the logic of what he's trying to do. So like, he needs a boat. So he's going to hijack a boat. His, he knows his buddy is stuck down there. So he needs, and his boat is fucked up. So they had two boats. Both boats were fucked up. Yeah. Right. So Sarone's boat was fucked up. But then the thing is, Sarone knows Mateo is bringing someone out, bringing a new crew. So he's already done some groundwork with Mateo for this setup to work. Right. This is what blows my mind about this whole his master what's, plan. Yeah. What's how, what's the time lag here? Like, you know, Sarone, how long was he on that boat waving that lantern looking for a pickup? Like, does he have a, did he have a cabin in there? Like, you know what I mean? Maybe it, that boat's just totally fake. Like, he just knew that there's an abandoned boat oh, there. Oh, for sure. Like, so he's again, just standing on it, waiting for them to come down the river. Yeah, and I think Sarone is just, you know what I mean? We know it's pure manipulation from the, from the, from the start, right? How would you rate the, the as the the director or the the casting director brought this ensemble group together? Oh how how would you how would you rate that, Rob? Like overall, you you know you pull the lens back. What do you? Whoever think? did casting deserves an award because it's crazy that they were able to pull this <laughs> cast for this movie. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's not just that they got this cast because this cast could have been any other good movie, but this movie on paper does not look that great. It looks dumb. It looks stupid. <laughs> It looks like a bad horror movie, and yet, you know, some people were willing to take chances on it. It wouldn't work if you had lesser actors on some of these roles. I think if you, if you don't have someone as good as Stoltz, that character doesn't work. Because Stoltz is so, he's kind of fun at playing like this pompous guy, but he also knows it. He's kind of joking, pretending he's French with a cigarette in his mouth and, mm-hmm. um, you know, little moments like that. And, you know, the decisions John Voight made to, to create Paul Cerrone are so funny and bizarre to me but like so entertaining and I don't know if John Voight like said to himself like this movie needs a vaudevillian villain who just twirls his mustache the entire movie because that's what he decided to do he's like I'm not going to make this you could look at that paper like you were just talking about that that whole thing about uh, Cerrone and how we get to know who he is another actor might have chosen to be very subtle in those opening scenes uh, you know and build up the distrust but John Voight immediately lets you know, I'm the bad guy, I'm the heavy, and I'm taking over this whole movie. Absolutely. Well, he's a, he's a Paraguayan snake hunter. No, but I mean, even as an actor, he decides immediately, I will be the focal point of this film. Yeah. Well, listen, Aro, we've talked about these characters. We've done, yeah. we've done, a, We're ready we've done for an the in-depth plot. search here, right? So let's, um, you know, let's wrap this up. Uh, Thanks for listening to the Running Scared Podcast, Episode 2, The Characters of Anaconda. Stay tuned for the next episode uh, where we look at the plot of the movie. Awesome. See you then, buddy. See ya. Running Scared Podcast, produced, written by Robert Lendrum and Jamie Roberts, edited by Robert Lendrum, original music by Jamie Roberts. Follow us on Instagram at Running Scared Pod and on Twitter at Running Scared PD. If you have comments or you just want to talk to us for some reason, email us at the Running Scared Podcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for future episodes of Running Scared. A strike, grab around you, hold you tighter than your true love, and you get the privilege of hearing your bones break before the power of the embrace causes your veins to explode.